1: What's good, Knicks Nation? Alex Harris here, aka the Tradedcaster, back again with another game of the week preview. The New York Knicks are facing the Cleveland Cavaliers for Game Three at Madison Square Garden tomorrow on Mad. On uh, whoa, whoa, whoa! Why am, I, why am I going crazy? It's TNT. They're on. I'm so used to MSG. I'm so used to <laughs> MSG. They're on TNT. You'll be able to watch them there. Uh, hopefully, they're on MSG because you know, just like it. And uh, like again, the, the home network. But I think you got. Bre- I think you got Breen. And uh, who is it? I think you got Breen, Mark Jackson, and Van Gundy calling this game. So it should be a good one. But we got we to gotta get ready for this game today. We got none other than Justin Rowan. He is one half of the Chase Down pod, part of the Cav, official Cleveland Cavaliers, Cavs Media family. Justin, how are you doing today?
2: I'm doing great, man. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. This is uh, it has been a fascinating see- series so far. And uh, I, I think game three is going to be no exception.
1: Absolutely, and before we get into all the details of this game, please make sure to hit that thumbs up button for your boys, and make sure to check out KnicksFanTV.com. Now, Justin, you guys got us in game two, man. You guys got us in game two. It was uh, I was a little confident, you know, myself. I was like, all right, let's see. I think I think it should be a good game. The way that the Knicks came out in game one with all the energy, the defensive. You know, they showed a lot of good defense against Garland and just stopped him and, and everybody else on that team. I was like, I think they could replicate it. But no, unfortunately, they weren't able to. What did you see in that game that the Cavs made adjustments towards in order to take down the Knicks?
2: Yeah, well, one of the biggest things wasn't really a, an adjustment from a, a schematic perspective, but it, it was for Darius Garland to, to be a little bit more assertive. Um, When Isaac Okoro was out there in game one, the Knicks uh, we're really trapping a lot, right? They were like, blitzing them the whole time. And it, th- that changed as the game went on. Uh, when Karis LaVert or Jetty Osmond were out there, they were playing him a little more straight up. You saw some drop coverage in the pick and roll. And Darius, I, I, I don't know, sometimes he does have a tendency to try to get others involved and, and can be a little selfless to a fault at times. And that was one of the things we discussed after game one was he left too many of those pull-up opportunities on the table. And uh, we, we heard going into game two that he and Donovan Mitchell had had a talk. Uh, J.B. Beckerstaff told him, hey, I, we need you to be more assertive. We need you to take those open shots when they're there. Uh, we can't have you kind of dribbling into the paint and, and not taking those threes. So for him to up that volume, I just think it bends the defense. The Cavs are at their best when, when Garland's being assertive like that. And I, I just think it, it helped the Cavs' offense really kind of settle in and find more of a groove. And defensively, the the biggest adjustment was just throwing a variety of looks at, at Jalen Brunson, you know, uh, really blitzing the pick and roll uh, hard shows. Um, you, there were times where I thought Brunson did a good job navigating it, but part of what you want to see with the, those type of defensive coverages is speeding up decision-making. So I thought Brunson left a little food on the table, just like uh, Garland did in game one. I expect him to be a little more assertive in those spots, but just really making the Knicks uncomfortable and making sure that they're playing one-on-one basketball rather than getting everybody involved.
1: Yeah. And you definitely saw that when the Knicks were playing. I mean, Brunson took a lot of shots early, which was to me a little uncanny because he usually looks to get everybody else involved, especially Julius Randle. Although Randle, he's coming off an ankle injury. So they've been managing his minutes, but now According to Fred Katz today, he's good. He's going to get his normal workload, so he won't come out within the first five minutes. He'll play what I'm expecting, the full first quarter. But getting back on track to getting other guys involved, like that's that's what threw me off a little bit because Brunson looks to get everybody else involved to the in the beginning of the games. And then this one, he decided to take a lot of shots. But as to your point, the Cavs were throwing a lot of looks at him, making him be the sole decision maker. And you saw that when he couldn't get to his spots and find anybody else, And when he did dish it off to someone else, like maybe it was either Randall or RJ, they weren't the guys making quick decisions on passing the rock sooner to find someone like a Quentin Grimes who may have been open or even find someone like Mitchell Robinson. And then it gave the Cavaliers the opportunity just to slow them down and just really wall them off. And then that's where you get the 18 turnovers. You know, they had nine turnovers. The Knicks had nine turnovers in the second quarter because of that defense and really forcing other guys to be the playmaker. Uh, Hopefully we can see them just get a little bit more into a groove, be more relaxed, find their open teammates, and make the defense shift. Um, But getting back to, like, what the Cavs did, like, you know, Darius Garland was so on ball unlike game one. Is that when he's at his best?
2: Yeah, I'd say to some extent, like, he's a tremendous off-ball player as well, and I think that was a big part of why the Cavs had confidence. Uh, in bringing in donovan mitchell was both of them are, are so good both on and off ball and um I, I really do feel like game one came down to him just kind of being a little too passive and trying to get other guys involved um i just feel like he was so much more confident and i think it's also reflecting the playmaking numbers just i thought he created better shots for guys only one assist in the first game but when you look at like the tracking data Uh, teammates were one of 13 off of passes from him in in game one. And I I don't think that's necessarily like, oh, guys are just missing shots. I think he was creating better looks because he was really kind of getting the defense to react to him. And uh, Donovan was doing a great job kind of being that outlet once again, um, making sure anytime the Knicks were, were going to bring some pressure on Garland, he was seeing that earlier, giving the ball up early. and. The best way to beat a blitz is by seeing it before it comes and and giving that ball up and catching the defense when it's in rotation. And I think that's why you saw Mitchell come up with a career high in assists with 13. So uh, I I do think that the Cavs are at their best when Garland's running the offense and Mitchell's acting as that play finisher. Um, But really, the, the beauty of their dynamic is that they can both play on and off ball so well.
1: The reason I asked is because in game one, Garland being off the ball, it seemed like he wasn't able to get to his shots. And once Bickerstaff said, you know, you're going to be the guy running the show tonight, it made everything fall into place. And it was much more difficult for the Knicks. And something that I'm looking for in game three is for Tom Thibodeau to force Donovan Mitchell to be that initiator again. Because in my opinion, from what, you know, the, the little bit of the Cavs I've watched this season, like Garland is best when he gets to control that offense, as we've been discussing, but... If you put him off ball, I feel like it's a little bit more of a challenge for him to really get into rhythm. Because if you, once Donovan Mitchell starts going, and it's more not, it's not necessarily Garland's not capable of doing it. It's more once Donovan Mitchell's in that attack mode. I feel like Garland can go to the wayside. And then if you really want to blitz Garland, once he has to be that second decision maker, it's much more difficult for him rather than someone like Donovan Mitchell, who's been in that situation before, especially when he was out in Utah playing with Mike Connolly, even Rubio for those times. That's what I'm thinking.
2: Yeah, and that was one of the things we predicted coming in was that the Knicks' defensive efforts might actually be a little more on Garland because it's not just about disrupting him and getting the ball out of his hands. When you're doing that, it's making it harder for Evan Mobley and Jared Allen and all these other guys did to be effective, right? Like, Garland is that guy that, I mean, you you look at it last year. Right? At the All-Star break, they were a game out of first place in the Eastern Conference. After the All-Star break, he was averaging 25-10 and 10. Like this is a bona fide all-star. This is a guy that is probably closer to the talent level of Donovan Mitchell than, than people realize. And he just turned 23 years old. So you you kind of want to force him to get out of his game. He, As you said, he doesn't have that experience that Donovan Mitchell has uh, to get his game off no matter what the defense is throwing at him. That's part of the learning curve. That's part of what we're trying to see this postseason. And uh, from a Knicks perspective, coming into this series – So much of the conversation was, okay, Jalen Brunson, is he able to outplay Donovan Mitchell again? Is he able to to punk him in the ways that he did uh, in that Dallas-Utah series? And from the Cavs' perspective, it was, okay, that's obviously going to be one of the key matchups, but can Darius Garland play to that Jalen Brunson level? Can he elevate his game and change the conversation so that he's playing at that level? Because you look at their overall seasons, and it's equivalent. But the thing that Brunson really has is that playoff experience, that know-how, the, the ability to get it off uh, mm-hmm. against no matter what the defense is throwing at him. So far to the series, right now you have the two leading scorers in the series being Donna Mitchell and Darius Garland. And, and the Knicks, I'm sure, are going to look for ways to change that. Because if the two leading scorers are those guys, I don't see the, the Knicks winning the series.
1: Yeah, and you know, it, it just, it's unfortunate that Julius had to get injured before the beginning of the postseason. Some may look at it as like uh, a blessing for him to like really rest his body, and get his mind correct, because he started to see he started to see him get a little frustrated towards the end of the season. I mean, that's that's the challenge of an 82 game season, right? And he played, I think it was like 78, 79 before. Uh, he, well, actually, no, 77, 77 before he went down because he there was five games left. So you look at that aspect, and so for Randall to figure out his game, and Brunson also works off of his game. It, it kind of makes sense why they're struggling to count, to get into their offense. I mean, also when you look at Game One, Brunson was in foul trouble early, so we didn't really get to see the full Jalen Brunson experience either. And I expect them to bounce back, especially being home in, in Game Three. But getting back to the Cavs, Karis Wavert was the X factor that came out of nowhere. You know, you see Bickerstaff sit down, uh, Isaac Okoro, Wavert comes in, gets thirty five plus minutes has some good offense, has some good defense. What do you think about him so far?
2: I mean, it's been a little bit of the Karis LeVert experience. I I think overall he's had a very good year for the Cavs. He's changed his game to be more of a two-way player. Um, Throughout the season, you can kind of rely on his defense and you can rely on his playmaking. He's a good pick-and-roll ball handler and someone that can make plays in those spots. But in terms of him actually scoring and the, the things that he's been known for in his career, that's kind of come in waves, right? Like there, there's times where he's played better. I think early in the season he was deferring a little too much, um, but he was a whole lot better after the trade deadline. And, and I think some of that had to do with hearing his name in all of those rumors. He, he was mm-hmm. that matching salary and all those kind of cast talks, and uh, he was really good for them uh, down down the stretch. And uh, I'm not surprised to, to see him bounce back a little bit. I don't think necessarily are expecting them to have a game that significant uh, again in this series but he is someone that can get you those timely buckets that, that can make those connecting plays and, and hit three-point shots I mean shot 39 percent on good volume this year taking five threes a game so uh for a cast team that needs that three-point shooting it, his presence is really really damn important so um I don't know necessarily if they're going to go to him starting uh, you talk about injuries at the end of the season, Isaac Okoro missing the last three weeks uh, of the regular regular season and dealing with that knee issue, I think has been a bit uh, of a factor here as well. I-, I can see them still starting Okoro, but um, in-, in terms of what they'll do throughout the flow of the game, I, I think you're going to continue to see a uh, heavy dose of Karis Levert as the sixth man.
0: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all
1: And once again, we're talking to Justin Rowan. He is one half of the chase down pod, part of the Cleveland Cavaliers organization, (laughs) a.k.a. Cavs Media, official Cavs member right here. So, Justin, why don't you think, why don't you think we'll have another game like this? Is it just been the experience the entire season where he's just so up and down? What are your thoughts about that?
2: Well, here's the thing we're two games in and these games have been low scoring. Like I I feel like a 18 point game is basically a 25 point game in the regular season. So just for that reason, I think you're going to see Donovan Mitchell be a little more assertive. Uh, He was able to take kind of a backseat and and coast throughout game Two, play as a a facilitator. Um, I expect Donovan Mitchell to try to step up in the garden. I I think that's a spot where you're hoping that he can go out there and, and steal one of those games And I think Darius Garland, you're hoping that he's keeping that foot on the pedal. I think Evan Mobley started to figure out some things as the game uh, has gone on. And uh, history has kind of showed us with Mobley is if he struggles, the the more film he gets, the the more comfortable he gets, he starts to play better and better. So I just think you're going to see a balanced attack from the Cavs. I don't think Karis LeVert necessarily is going to need to play 40 minutes like he did in game two. Um, But he can certainly have scoring outbursts where, where he, he lights them up a, in a hurry. So uh, I just think it's going to be a bit more balanced of an approach and also just factoring in that, hey, th- these are two really good defensive teams and these are going to be low-scoring games. So for that reason, I'd be a little surprised if you see a 30-point outing uh, from him again this series. Okay.
1: So let's talk about what we're going to expect in this next game then. So where do you see, do you see the Cavs make any – adjustments for game three or do you see them rolling the same way that they did in game two
2: uh well obviously i, I think is probably going to play more whether it's starting or coming in off the bench uh, i think he's going to play more than the three minutes that he played in game two um if i don't know how many adjustments they're going to make i, I think that's going to be dictated by what the knicks do i i don't know uh where you're at there but uh, we just wrapped up a edition of chase down podcast trying to predict what we can see from the Knicks. And I think the Knicks are going to try to get more ball handling out there. Like if Jetty Osmond and Danny Green are out there, I can see them going Brunson quickly, having Quentin Grimes out there and get those guys in action, right? Like try to test Danny Green, try to test Jetty Osmond, see if you can get those guys off the floor. And I'm interested to see what the ebb and flow is going to look like there, because if they're doing that, then all of a sudden the, the value of having Isaac Okoro out there uh, is a little bit higher because you, you, he's their best point of attack defender throughout the year. Uh, he, he's really made a, a lot of strides there on that end. So having multiple guys out there that can defend the point of attack and help blow up those actions are going to be really important. So uh, I think, obviously, the, the flow of a playoff series is usually one team adjusts, and until the other one gets them out of that, they're going to stick with what they're doing. So mm-hmm. I don't think you're going to see a massive deviation from game two, but you might see some changes in, in terms of personnel and minutes.
1: Okay, yeah, for the Knicks, on, on the Knicks side, I'm looking at getting Quentin Grimes more involved. Uh, mm-hmm. As of right now, he's hasn't been getting a lot of shots up. Like the last game, he only got two attempts, and we need him to provide more three-point shooting and just his ability to attack the lane and really have the defense collapse. That's just an aspect of his that's just been so valuable this season. He's got a quick first step, and he hasn't really been able to utilize that, and I think that's partially due to how the Cavs have been defending and partially due to him just not being aggressive enough when the ball touches his hand. So I want to see him adjust his own game, and Tibbs tell Brunson and the rest of his teammates, like, yo, let's, let's, let's look for Grimes because we need that offense from him to keep the Cavaliers honest because as of right now, what I'm seeing is that you're daring guys to shoot, and you know that Cap- the Cavs are one of the better teams defending the paint. Brunson, Randall, RJ, both, all three of them love to get downhill. So, if we don't have the three-point shooting to counterbalance that, then it's going to be easy for the Cavs just to continue to defend the paint. So, I'm looking mm-hmm. for Grimes to get more involved there. I'm also looking at Emmanuel quickly. I'm looking at Emmanuel quickly to, to bounce back. You know, we were talking a little bit uh, about this behind the scenes. Uh, he he did not win sixth man of the year. You know, he lost to Malcolm Brogdon. So, I,
2: I hope that he has it. Ridiculous to me. A, Ridiculous I hope to it, me. Uh,
1: well, I appreciate that you, that you say that and you feel that way because i I feel the same way considering he's been so important for the Knicks and what they've done this season and Malcolm Brogdon, this is no shade to Malcolm Brogdon, but he's just been a luxury and like you're talking about a team that already went to the final. So I'm to me quick should have won, but that, but that's another story for another day. I expect what what, what,
2: what, we'll add to that because I'll here I'm I'll win over some Knicks fans here, but I I think here we go. I I think quickly has been their third best player this season. And I think Mm -hmm. voters often just look at the numbers and they're like, okay. Same points per game, uh, Brunson, or not Brunson, Brogdon and and Quickly. uh, But Brogdon's doing it in in two fewer minutes. What they're not factoring in is the unique thing about Emmanuel Quickly, which is these kind of microwave guys that come in off the bench, everyone assumes, oh, it's like Lou Will, it's Jason Terry, all that. Emmanuel Quickly has turn into like a legitimately great defensive player, someone that can change games on that end of the floor. And you don't get that with those six men and defense almost never gets factored into that conversation. And I, I just feel like that aspect has been overlooked. And the the starting games part, I, I think that's ridiculous as well. Um, I don't think that's enough of a factor. And I just, I feel like it's ignored his two-way impact and just how important he is w- within kind of the the Knicks hierarchy because I think people still assume that third guys RJ Barrett just based on draft position and uh for this season I'd probably put Emmanuel Quickly and Quentin Grimes over RJ in, in terms of their impact on the season.
1: Well, Justin, you are certainly welcome back on the show anytime you want after that. Look at that. Someone who who understands what Emmanuel Quickly means to this team, really appreciate it. And and I wrote the same thing for like KnicksfanTV.com saying he's been our third best player. Because of all the things you just noted, and I think him getting the snub is going to add a little bit more extra fuel to him wanting to show up and show out. And and I know some may not like to hear this, but I know he had a rough first half against the Cavs. But I think him just seeing, I think he's the type of guy that once he sees a basket fall, and even though it was in mostly garbage time in the second half, I feel like he was trying to get into a little bit of rhythm there. You know, the same the same topic that was for Julius Randle and why he was in the game so late, which is another. Whole other discussion. I don't yeah. really feel like having that conversation right now. But for quickly, I think after seeing that, I think he's going to be ready for, for game three. I expect him. So he's another factor that I want to see get in there because he is the secondary playmaker on that on our team. And when Brunson's is getting trapped, if you can get if you can get to Emmanuel quickly, and you have three guys out there that that can actually shoot, score, attack inside, then it's like okay, we can't really double team. So I want to make sure that Quigley's getting his touches as well, but that he's in a good rhythm as as well. And then the last thing I want to say for the Knicks, got to figure out how to stop all these turnovers. I mean, 16 in <clears> the first game, 18 in the second. Like, the Cavs really got that lead because nine turnovers in the second quarter, and it was just every new possible way to turn the ball over the Knicks were doing. And the Cavs were just capitalizing on all those turnovers. So I want to see the Knicks be able to reduce that because they were, they've been awesome on the season when it comes to protecting the rock averaging 13.1 turnovers per game. Uh, One of the top five or top 10 in the league, I believe when it comes to protecting the ball. So I'd like to see them get back into those habits as well.
2: Yeah. Yeah. T- totally agree. And post all star break the cast were uh, among the best teams in the league, maybe even the best. I can't remember uh, of generating turnovers. Right. And that's something that they're going to continue to try to do. And I, I think, until the Knicks show that they can beat kind of that aggressive defense and and quickly and Grimes and these guys showing up and and showing that secondary playmaking, they're going to keep blitzing, right? Because if they're forcing Brunson, if that pass to Quickly or or Grimes is a lob pass rather than, you know, a a quick skip pass, that gives the defense time to rotate and reset. And I I think what we've seen so far from the Knicks in this series, and like they won the first game with the possession battle right getting those offensive rebounds they were not good offensively they haven't been good offensively yet in this series and the Cavs are going to keep trying to keep them in that one-on-one basketball because i, I feel like right now guys are catching it they're looking to get into their individual offense and then they're giving the ball up and, and i think that's the space the Cavs want them in because even though julius Randle's an all nba talent even though jalen brunson's one of the best point guards in the nba and they are great tough shot makers Goes back to what I said about how the Knicks are probably going to defend Garland. If you're keeping them in that tough shot-making mode, playing one-on-one, it's going to make it so much harder for other guys to get involved. And in the case of uh, Quentin Grimes, in particular, I really feel like when he's at his best, it's a reflection that the Knicks' offense is at a healthy place. He's playing within that Knicks ecosystem, right? Like he's not mm-hmm. someone that's going to get that get his offense off on his own like jalen brunson randall or even emmanuel quickly for him it's okay the offense is flowing i'm getting the ball i'm attacking a destabilized defense with with my quick first step or that beautiful beautiful jumper he's got with the high release point that's usually when he's at his best so if the knicks are going to stay stagnant offensively i think it's going to be hard to get Quentin grimes involved
1: absolutely and that's something i've been preaching all season long is to share the rock i mean the knicks are in On the regular season, they're the bottom five when it comes to assists per game. And part of it is due to – it's funny because the Knicks also have one of the most efficient offenses for the least ball movement, right? And that goes to the tough shot making you talk about with Julius Randle, uh, Jalen Brunson, those guys right there. And, like, they're able to do that once everyone else gets in rhythm, which is why it was so odd for for Brunson – to just take so many shots for himself in the beginning of game two. But that's also a testament to what the Cavaliers were doing and yep. blitzing, like attacking him as soon as he crossed half court, you know, forcing him to get the ball out of his hands, forcing him to continue to take tough shots and just making everybody else beat them and be their own shot creators, which if that's the way you're going to do it, that's it's going to be tough for the Knicks to, to get back into, into rhythm. And that's just a testament to how good the Cavs defense been this entire season. Uh, but another guy that I'm looking at, honestly, on the Knicks side, is R.J. Barrett because it's it's been tough. Uh, considering he likes to get downhill and he doesn't have a three point shot, and to be honest, I, I'm I'm expecting him to kind of get the orcoral treatment if he's not going like that. Because to go against Mobley, to go against Jaron Allen, and we've seen this throughout the regular season too, he just hasn't had a lot of success going against the Cavs big men. And, and why do you think that is? That he hasn't had such good success going against the the Cavs big men?
2: Ah. Uh. See, you're putting me in a tough spot here, man, because as a Canadian, as <laughs> someone named Rowan, I've been rooting for RJ since day one. I watched his dad play in the Olympics. Like, that, that that's my guy. But he's just, he, it's too many record scratches when he's getting the ball. And, and then he's attacking uh, stabilized Cavs defense. Uh, they're, they're great at the point of attack. Honestly, the Cavs are Uh, There's a reason why they have the best defense in the league, but their first shot defense is usually fantastic. Uh, When they're giving up shots to the open corner or uh, when when they're giving up clean looks, usually that's on an offensive rebound. That's second chance opportunities or a loose ball kind of scramble situation. RJ not attacking again, uh, not within the flow of the offense. Uh, The three-point shot has basically abandoned him. Um, I, I know, I think he's shooting something like 25% uh, since the All-Star break on, on wide open threes. They're daring him to shoot. And he's the the one guy that they are daring him to shoot. And you could see it even even with them being willing to put Danny Green on him at times. Like, Danny Green's still not moving around well. It's been less than 12 months since he tore his knee and. Uh, the Cavs felt comfortable putting Danny Green on him and even put Danny Green on Julius Randle at times, which I found to be surprising. I don't know how much they do that. Um, but again, it's it's almost like baiting, like matador defense. Okay, we're going to get the, this guy that, that's not moving around well there, bait you into one-on-one, and that help defense is going to be there because both Evan Mobley and Jared Allen are able to come up to the level, they're able to defend in space. It's not a Rudy Gilbert type situation. Like Jared Allen's comfortable defending above the three point line. And uh, if you're playing into what the Cavs defense wants you to do and you're uh, trying to generate one on one against the primary defender and then shooting over that help defense of Jared Allen and Evan Mobley, you're you got to be special to, to get that to get efficient offense out of those type of looks. And, and I just don't think RJ's game offensively is at that point right now.
1: Hey everyone, Alex here. Has there ever been a moment in your life where you're trying to buy a ticket to an event and it was just a hassle? You know, trying to find them at the last minute, hunting down the best price, competing with other buyers for that popular event you're trying to attend. For me, it was buying Knicks tickets not too long ago. As you know, I'm out here in Boston and when the Knicks were in town, it was just a pain in the butt to get some tickets. And buying tickets to your favorite events shouldn't be that stressful. So, download the app GameTime or go to gametime.co. GameTime is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. With killer deals on last minute tickets and their best price guarantee, you can stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for the fun you'll have. If you're in the New York area right now and you're a sports fan, there's a couple things that you may want to check out. You know, the Giants are in town facing the Yankees, so maybe you want to head over to Yankee Stadium. If you're a Knicks fan like me, the Wizards are going to be in town, so maybe you want to go over to MSG and rock your orange and blue. Or maybe you're a Mets fan. You got the home opener next week. The Miami Marlins will be in town, so why not check that out? Either way, make sure to use the GameTime app because it's simple and easy to use. Also, they got flash deals, and you can always find tickets at the last minute. And if you're like me, you want to know where you're sitting and what your seats look like, and they always give you images of the seats and the views. GameTime is the place for the last-minute ticket deals. Forget planning months in advance. GameTime has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. Get exclusive flash deals on tickets for football, basketball, baseball, concerts, comedy, theater, and more. The GameTime guarantee means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less, GameTime will credit you 110% of the difference. So snag the tickets without the stress with GameTime. Download the GameTime app or go to GameTime.co, create an account and use the code KFTV for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem the code KFTV for $20 off. Download GameTime today, last minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. And once again, we are talking to Justin Rowan. He is one half of the chase down pod, part of the Cleveland Cavaliers media family. All right, Justin, I would love to see RJ get back into some sort of rhythm. I just don't like the, fa- the fact that the Cavs had him attempting mid-range jumpers and, and step backs. I was like, oh my God, that's just, God. A, that's just not his game. And that's something that he will have to work in the off season in order to get himself situated and being able to be part of like a natural flowing offense, because just being so one dimensional right now is hurting the Knicks. And it hurts him even more when he's, he's so reliant into what they do on a nightly basis that now you have to kind of change up what they do. Right. Because he's been part of that second, you know, like when they go in there, it's like, okay, you're going to be the battering ram, make the defense collapse, find somebody else. And then we can kind of reset the deck a little bit. And that's something I want to see if he can, try to do that, it's still going to be Mm -hmm. tough because even with Evan Mobley out there, I know he plays some backup center minutes. Like when you're staggering him and Jared Allen, I'm just looking at that. Like that's such a difficult task because Mobley is a good defender. He's just such a good defender.
2: Yeah. I mean, he's the youngest defensive player of the year finalist in NBA history. Like he's, uh, I I'm still blown away uh, with how good he's been this year. Um, I don't think this is necessarily the series for him offensively. I do think he, he can get better in the short roll, and I, I thought he started to get a little more comfortable in game two. Uh, but this is a tough series uh, for, for he and Jared Allen to to do well offensively just because, I mean, Mitchell Robinson, phenomenal defender with a ton of scientists. uh Isaiah Harnstein, fantastic defender. He's able to come up to the level. He's, he's able to defend the rim. I was a little lucky to get away with two missed goaltends in in game two, but we'll we'll let that (laughs) one slide. Um, But, you know, like those are are fantastic defenders and they're going to make it hard. So that's one interesting thing, though. If the Knicks do decide to go small, and I I know Sam Vicini was kind of theorizing, hey, maybe they go Julius Randle, Josh Hart with, with ball handlers around it and see can we play Danny Green? Can we play Jetty Osman off of the court in those spots? If you're doing that, I think that all of a sudden the tide shifts. I, I don't know if I'd go that route to, or at least to that extreme. I think you have to have one of Mitchell Robinson or Isaiah Harnstein on the court at all times. But uh, if they go that route, I, I do think that starts to open things up for the Cavs big men. And really, when the Cavs offense is at their absolute best, it's playing through those two. Because what you see with all the high-level teams in the NBA, all the teams that win a championship— you usually have a front-court playmaker that's making it happen. That's why you almost never see teams win with a point guard or or a small guard as their best player. The only exceptions, really, like you got Golden State, sure, Kevin Durant's there. Draymond Green's there to be that front-court playmaker. For the Cavs, their hope is that it's eventually going to become Evan Mobley, that even if Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell are scoring more points per game, they're able to flow through the offense, have some of that come through Evan Mobley. He can be that outlet when t- defenses are trapping it and throwing length at the Cavs guards, because e- even going back to to the Spurs where where Tim Duncan was playing in that role and opening things up for Tony Parker and Manu Ginobili, I think that's the the type of role that they see for Evan Mobley. But he's still 21 years old, man. Like it's it's nuts. Like it's I, I think these reps are very valuable for him, but it, it's against the Knicks length and toughness and two really fantastic defenders. I just, I don't see this being a spot where you see him get one of those 25, 30 point games.
1: Hmm. Let me ask you something about Danny Green, because I know there's a (laughs) lot of chat afterwards after game one. And I know cast fans were on Twitter saying, we need Danny Green. We need Danny Mm -hmm. Green. Are we going to see a lot of Danny Green in this series?
2: I think you're going to keep seeing spot minutes from him. Uh, I don't think this is someone that you want to have out there for a long, extended periods of time, but having someone out there that you're going to have to respect, that they, they you is going to open some things up. I, I can see him continuing to get like that kind of 10, 15 minutes per game, um, being that eighth guy in the rotation. I, I think that's kind of the sweet spot for Danny Green. I, I still think part of my guess uh, of bringing Danny Green in is it's going to make it easier for them to sign him this summer. Uh, you're, you're going to have his rights. And and at that point, when you look at the history of ACL injuries, it's usually year two where these guys start to look a little more like themselves. And the Cavs, obviously they, they have a core that they're very happy with and they're going to try to find that value on the margin. So I think that's kind of the long-term vision for Danny green. Uh, but I mean, in, until the Knicks are are able to play him off the court, I do think having him out there is helpful in spot minutes. And uh, if RJ Barrett's going to continue to struggle like this and, and they can find spots to to kind of hide him on the defensive end, um, I, I thought he did a good job competing in game two, but if they're putting him in space and putting him in actions, I, I think that would be the first adjustment that I expect from Tom Thibodeau is to try to get him off the court with those type of actions.
1: Do you see Do you see Danny Green like getting more minutes in replace of Isaac Okoro in the future, or do you still see Isaac Okoro getting a bulk of the minutes?
2: I don't know if Isaac's going to get the bulk of the minutes. I think it might actually be Karras. Like, if you look for the season, their best lineup is Garland, Mitchell, Karras, Mobley, and Allen, right? Like, it, And and funny enough, the Isaac lineup has been much better than that lineup offensively. Like, the, hmm. that's been a dynamite uh, offensive lineup for them throughout the year. Why uh, is I, I, I don't know if it's just kind of timing some of the weird stuff. I, I mean, you, you started the season, you, you had Darius Garland get that eye injury. Um, when Cavs played the Knicks in January, you had Mitchell that was playing through a groin injury and, and Garland had an injury to his shooting hand, right? Like, so you they've had these weird things that they've been playing throughout, throughout the season. But I, I do think uh, Isaac has shown a lot of growth this year offensively. Like, he shot 49% from the floor, 36% from three. Uh, Since going 0 of 12 uh, from 3 to start the season after changing the mechanics on his jump shot, he's been shooting 39% for the year. The problem is the volume is just not there. Like If I'm the Knicks, if Isaac Okoro goes 2 of 5 from 3, I'm not changing how I'm playing him defensively, even if he does that every single game throughout the series. Because that's such low volume that's only 6 points. My ability to disrupt what Darius Garland's doing and and stop him from getting the bigs involved, stop him from getting Donovan Mitchell easy looks, I'm still going to be blitzing and I'm going to use Isaac's man to come over and tag Mobley or tag Allen or whoever's coming on the roll. I would keep doing that and and force him to beat you in those ways. But um, we'll we'll see, right? Like, Obviously, teams are are going to be a little more guarded about how healthy these guys are. We'll we'll see if Isaac's... Healthy, But I still feel like, especially if the Knicks start to get Coin and Grimes going and get Emmanuel quickly going and get these guys involved, Isaac's defense is going to be really important because prior to that last game, um, Jalen Brunson, his least efficient team that he played against on the season was the Cavs. And a big part of that was Isaac Okoro. That, that game uh, that came down to the wire in the garden, Jalen Brunson had more air balls than made shots when, when Isaac was on him. And Um, I'm by no means saying that he's going to be someone that's just going to shut him down. I mean, uh, Kawhi Leonard won a finals MVP holding LeBron to 30 points on on 50% shooting, right? Like uh, great players like Jalen Brunson are going to get it done, but Isaac's going to be able to make him work. He's going to make him tired, and uh, I think the Cavs are going to try to put Jalen Brunson in as much action as possible, and take advantage of him on the defensive end, not only to get their own offense going, but to tire him out as much as possible, uh, so that he's not able to to be the hero for New York.
1: And that's what we kind of look for for Grimes as well when he's on Donovan Mitchell, just to make it that much more difficult to get his, because you're it's 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 impossible to stop some of these guys who are so great in the league from getting their their shots. They're they're great for that reason. Right. But what mm-hmm. you want to make them do, as you said, is just tire them out, make them work 10 times harder. Because if they're doing that, if they're trying to work 10 times harder to get their own shot, they may be eating more time out of the shot clock. It may be lesser possession, a uh, lesser possession for their team by doing that. Right. And at some point, they're just going to get exhausted. And then you're going to have to rely on everybody else who's out of rhythm if someone's just working that hard just to get their own shot. So that's mm-hmm. definitely what I think both for Coral and, and for Grimes, that's their job for whether it's, or Coral guarding Brunson, or Grimes guarding Donovan Mitchell. But, Justin, appreciate you coming on. Want to get you out of here with one last question. Who's going off for the Cavs
2: in Game 3 in the Garden? I think it's going to be Mitchell. I think, you know, Madison Square Garden playoffs, first game there. I think, especially with the way he was kind of saving himself in Game 2, he didn't have to do too much. I think Garland's going to remain assertive, but I I think this is where you you hope that Donovan Mitchell is going to go out there and get it. Because honestly, like, looking at the Knicks and everything they're dealing with, I want to get your thoughts on this, but, like, I feel like Game 3 is such an important, almost must-win situation for the Knicks because it's a late tip on that Friday night and then the next game Sunday afternoon. With, With, like, Julius Randle and Josh Hart, all these guys nursing injuries, if they're coming off a loss in that situation that's a really, really tough position to be in to to kind of say, okay, let's not go back to Cleveland down 3-1, right? And and I just, I feel like if this series is going to go the distance and I predicted that it is going to be a very long series, Knicks need to get game three because I I feel like game four, just from a scheduling perspective and with everything they got going on, uh, I I feel like that's going to be a really tough situation for them.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with you that the Knicks need to come out and win Game three, and I don't even—I think yes, definitely to that from the scheduling aspect, the amount of rest you're going to have after the game. But it's also the first game at home. You know, mm-hmm. you know what I mean. Like the—you want to set the tone right for your, your your home crowd, for yourself. And as soon as you get back on your own floor, you got to show that it's your court for the reason. The yeah. Knicks did their job going out to Cleveland, snatching one game. Now yeah. you got to show that it's worth it by coming home and saying. All right, Game Three. This is ours. It's our house, you know. And to work, it's interesting because the Knicks were are such a good road team, and I've been saying that. Like I was, I expected them to win Game One because of like I just felt like there's a certain level of juice that they had to show them. Like after losing to the Hawks in the manner that they did, I I was so
2: worried about Game One. I I said coming in, I, I. Especially with the Cavs like not playing a real game for basically two weeks and resting starters and everything, I was worried about that game one. And, and, I, and I, I totally agree, man. Like the, I thought the Knicks are such a good road team, and, and the funny thing is, home it's a little like it, it's they're good, but they haven't been great. They've been a whole lot better since Josh Hart has been added. But yes. you look at but you look at it for the year. Knicks are twelfth in net rating at, at home for the season. It has our third in road net rating, even though they have a bad road record. Well, that comes down to their performance in the clutch on the road, but they're in all of these games. And for all the differences between Cleveland and New York, these fan bases, us fans, we've been through a lot of shit, man. Like that's what I that oh, was Oh, family worried. show,
1: family show, family oh, show, family oh, show. Oh,
2: sorry, pardon me. We've been through a lot. We've been through a lot of heartache. And I, I just feel like it's one of those spots where things get tight. If you get down at home, all the things that, that these fans have been through in the playoffs and whatnot, you want to give them something to cheer about. And, and Madison Square Garden is going to be absolutely unbelievable. Uh, if the Knicks get out to a lead, I just feel like that's going to give them so much energy. So I, I feel like them setting the tone is going to be so important.
1: And I think they are ready to set the tone. You know, the way that this team looks, it's just, it's so different than two years ago. This team is really laser focused. I mean and this is not to go like at the Cavs or or the fan base or anything, but you hear like JB Bickerstaff and you heard like the physicality. There was a lot of, there was a lot of gripe about the physicality in game one. And then, you know, game two comes here, you know, I'm not going to say it's the main reason, but it was, it was called differently between both apps. It was definitely called a little bit differently from from the way I saw it, but that's not the reason why the Knicks lost. The Cavs came out and did their job and they made their shots and they looked phenomenal doing it. Mm -hmm. Um, but now Nick, especially with that Jared Allen late, late hit on Julius, and like I see his laser focused. I, I hear how they're all talking. They're like they're not talking about like oh it was too physical. Oh well, this is you know they just say the Cavs did what they had to do. We're gonna do what we have to do. Yep. That's it. It's it's a different it's a different mindset that was two seasons ago, and I think they're gonna be ready for Game Three. And that's why going into this game, you know, I chose I chose Randall uh, in Game Two to to bounce back. I'm gonna st- I'm gonna go with Jalen Brunson in Game Three. I feel like mm. I-, I think Quickly's gonna show up, but if you're gonna ask me who's gonna have that game, he hasn't had that game yet. But I think Brunson's going to have that game. I think he's going to figure out how to get everybody else involved, and then the game's going to flow naturally to him. And I'm looking for Brunson to be that guy in this game to show why he's the leader, why everything's cha- why everything's changed with him at the helm. So I'm looking for Brunson to to show up, but. The other thing I want to mention is that it's interesting for these two teams because the Cavs are not a good road team and the Knicks on the season were not really a good home team as you pointed mm-hmm. until Josh Hart got here. So it's going to be interesting to see how this all works out.
2: In, 100%. In yeah, 100%. It's been something we talked about all year is that I've kept arguing that the Cavs are better than the record on the road. Like I said, third best net rating on the road. Usually that's a little bit better of an indicator, but it's come down to the clutch. Like that's what it's been it is on the road. They wait too long to get into their sets. You, you, and when they wait too long to get in their sets, they're not getting the bigs involved. And it devolves into Darius Garland or Donovan Mitchell going one-on-one in those spots. And um, I, I think they did a better job of that tr- throughout the close of the season. And a lot of road games down the stretch to to go out and earn home court, beating Miami in the clutch, beating Brooklyn in the clutch. Like, uh, all, all these big wins on the road. This is going to be the real test, though. Madison Square Garden, prime time. Big time moment. Donovan Mitchell making his uh, playoff debut against the Knicks. Like this, this is going to be something special.
1: Absolutely. And Justin, thank you so much for coming on today's show to preview game three. Please let our listeners know where they can find you. And if you got anything coming up that we should be on the lookout for.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Cavs Canada. Just slap the Cavs in Canada. You'll find me there. I apologize for everything else you see after that point. Uh, you can find Chase Down wherever you get your podcast. You can also find us on the Cavs YouTube channel. Uh, we're going live after every game for the remainder of this series, as well as the playoffs. If it does go beyond that, fingers crossed. <laughs> uh, so, But uh, yeah, wherever you get your podcast, wherever you're listening to this, you can probably find us as well.
1: Awesome, Justin. Once again, thank you so much for coming on. And to Knicks Nation, thank you all for tuning in once again for another game of the week preview. This time for game three, Knicks facing the Cleveland Cavaliers at home in Madison Square Garden. All right. It's going to be on ABC, not TNT. I got that wrong. Had a little brain fart at the beginning of the show. It's going to be on ABC with our guys, Van Gundy, Mark Jackson, Mike Breen on the call. So you know it's going to be a good one. You know it's going to be a good go- good game when you got those three calling a game and not Reggie Miller through through TNT. <laughs> Thank God. All right. But make sure Dix Nation hits that thumbs up button for your boys and make sure to check out FanTV.com after every game you get Remy's recap. And last and certainly not least, if you're going to go to the game or if you just want to go hang out, happy hour mixer between OmniFan and KFTV Friday at 4.30, between 4.30 to 7.30 p.m. April 21st. Make sure to go head over there and if you're going to the game or you just want to hang out, watch the game. Make sure to go get your tickets right now online. You can go to any of the IGs and go find, go find the link and go check it out. But thank you, Nick Station, for tuning in. We out of here.
3: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in.